As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, everybody. Hey. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm your host today, Ben Sternke, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Tebby. How are you today, Matt? Better, better than, than average. I deserve. Better okay, than better average. Than a- <laughs> better than average. Very good. Now, is that better than average for all humans or better than average for you? Better than my average, which is exceedingly below your... average, I think. That's part of the <laughs> right. part right. of the Enneagram Four. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't be on brand as an Enneagram Four if no. you were not a little bit below average. Yeah, no, because it's not. I I got this, uh, so I get these Enneagram Insight little email things. Do you mm-hmm. get these? Uh, I used to uh, until uh, until I waged. I decided to declare war on uh, Enneagram Four <laughs> updates. <laughs> right. they were, they were I don't want little... to learn anymore about myself. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, sometimes they can be a little annoying, but I, um, one of the things I do, I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd about it. And so I actually use, I have four different email addresses that I use for various like things in my life. I've got a personal, this there's is... one for gravity, one for the church, yep. one for, you know, and so I use those four e- email addresses to subscribe to two different Enneagram types. So um, I get, I get the Enneagram insight for eight types. Uh, the only one I'm missing is the five. So anyway, so I see all of them. Uh, <laughs> and I, I remember there was one a few days ago that was talking about the um, <sighs> the the hidden, something like the hidden childhood message or that, that each Enneagram type sort of believes. And so in our parlance, it would be bad news, right? So mm-hmm. what's the lie yeah. that sort of runs my life underneath the... My, underneath the surface of my life that I don't realize. So anyway, so all every type has this lie, you know, that um, is kind of operating in it. They call it a 
a hidden childhood message or something like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I remember the one when you were talking, I remembered the one for the four uh, because um, the one for the four was something like, it's not okay to be too, like, it's not okay to be too okay or to, to be too healthy or too like, you know, yes. like what, once life is like, oh, life is pretty good. That's like, no, that's not okay at all. Yep. So anyway, yep. I thought that was, I, uh, I remember, yeah. I remember spending minutes on that calculation as a kid. Now don't get too excited <laughs> about vacation because okay. in the next day okay. you are going to uh-huh. have, the higher you get, the harder you fall. Better, better to maintain. Stay close to the ground here, buddy. Better to maintain this like low key depression. Oh, yeah. Than to be too elated and be heartbroken. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yep. Yeah. The one I'm remembering now, the one for the Enneagram One, which is uh, it's the number I relate to, um, is it's not okay to make mistakes. I, that, that one resonates with me as well. So yeah, well, I'm always trying to cover my tracks, make sure I didn't make a mistake. Maybe, uh, maybe one of the, maybe one of the, we've been recording here for three or four minutes now and you, you have only made three mistakes, Ben. So you're doing all right. Yeah. One a minute. That's not bad. Yeah. (laughs) Now my mind, I'm like, what? What did I do? What did I make a mistake? Sorry, dude. That's, that's, that is a, I I like to tweak people like that. You have not made any mistakes that I'm aware of. Uh, but then again, I've been thinking mostly about flawless me and all, performance. I've been thinking Thank mostly about me much. and all my feelings, so I, I'm not sure I'm the best person to evaluate <laughs> right. yeah. what, how Who you're knows? doing. Who knows? Uh, one of the reasons Who we may be done. thinking about the Enneagram mm. is because uh, of who you interviewed. We've talked to him about the Enneagram before. That's true. We have. So AJ Cheryl is a is a second time, at least is at least two times he's been on the podcast. Maybe more. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, last time we talked to him about the Enneagram, because he's written a book on the Enneagram and uh, spiritual practices. Yes. Uh, but he's written a new book uh, that we're going to talk with him about in this interview called Being with God, The Necessity, uh, sorry, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. And uh, AJ uh, does a great job of sort of collecting um, a lo- and curating a lot of insight uh, from these perspectives about contemplative prayer. Um, he brings in some of his own practice and some of his own insight, but also kind of pulling in, um, connecting contemplative prayer with um, the kind of the theology of contemplative prayer, but also like the neurology of it and yeah. how it overlaps with a lot of other things that we're learning now in terms of neuroscience and sleep and mm. health and our bodies and all of that kind of thing. So mm. it's a really cool, um, it's a short book and it's got practices. Um, and so it's super practical. Um, it's a, it's a great little, uh, it's a great little book. Yeah. So, all right. And you were, so yeah, that's you were uh, flying solo on this, yeah. right? I was, yeah. Just AJ and I talked, um, we've known each other for a few years and so we just, you know, felt like old times so just mm-hmm. having a nice little conversation. All it right. It was fun. Old times for old um, people. Old times for old times' sake. <laughs> I was probably I, was pro- I think I'm older than AJ. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Um, I think you are too. Blurbs, essential blurbs. Uh, one, listeners, if you're not on our curated lists uh, newsletter, or sorry, curated links <laughs> newsletter, there's a mistake, Matt. I just made a mistake. <laughs> oh, I've got I've got a I've got a record. One of the, yes, I'm making a Sometimes list we and checking it this, twice. This is an aside, but sometimes when we interview uh, guests, they will ask us, will you edit this out or will you edit this afterwards? And I can always see a little bit of uh, nervousness in their eyes Terror. when I say no. 
I mean, we, we, we will edit things out if, you know, somebody misspoke or, you know, they, um, you know, they say something that they realize they shouldn't have said or something yeah. like that. But in general, we just keep going. So even though I call it the curated lists email, we're just going to keep going, Matt. We're yeah. not editing this no, out. No, no. Okay. So if you're, uh, if you're not part of that um, community, it's free. Uh, you can go to gravityleadership.com slash join and you can join us. Uh, we send out um, links every Friday. Uh, sometimes they're like, uh, I think one of the articles this past Friday was about a new Barna study that talks about pastor burnout uh, being a bigger problem than ever. Um, but it also had a, a link to an interview with Will Ferrell. Yes. You know, just because it was a fun little interview. It was. And he's a funny guy. He's a little funny guy. Uh, and also the black roots of Sesame Street. So yeah. it's just kind of whatever strikes our fancy mm-hmm. during the week. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's part of that email. Um, so join that if you'd like. And then also, if you're interested in Gravity Leadership Academy, um, we are always starting new cohorts. And I think we're hoping to start another one before the end of the year. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to gravityleadership.com slash academy um, or just email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. And we'd love to have a conversation with you about what that uh, could look like. That's our 12-month coaching and training intensive uh, where we learn how to pay attention to what God's doing in our life for our own lives and for also those that we lead and have influence with. So it's kind of what we do, Matt. Yeah, that is what we do. We write emails and we, and we, do, uh, <laughs> we do coaching cohorts. <laughs> oh, I had such an amazing coaching cohort this morning. Amazing. Did you? Oh, gosh. Tell me about I it. I can't. What happens in cohorts? Well, I mean, in cohort, yeah. right? Tell me who's in it and what they said. <laughs> Here's the social security numbers of everyone in the cohort. Yeah, I well, see we what you're trying like to do, Ben. Information. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm interested if you can share generically why it was so great. Um, because we work really hard to, to practice what a spirituality rooted in love lives like. And it's so mm. basic and... Um, um, unspectacular, but profound and rare that when we, mm. we, when I as a leader hold open space for God to be in charge, for love to rule, and for the Holy Spirit to operate, um, people are, people are routinely blown away at the lack of, um, control that we have over what God does, but also at mm. the simplicity of what's required of us to bear witness mm. to it together. So just profound yeah. breakthrough, and it was about sustaining a patient, gracious, open, curious awareness and posture, and and having the faith to stare into that patience long enough to receive the benefits of God. Wow. How can I join one of these cohorts? <laughs> well, then if you sign now, I mean, just joking. 20 minutes. Have you used the code? <laughs> no, I mean, it was just great. It was fantastic. And, no, uh, it's great. Yeah, no, it's, it's well said. I mean, I'm, I'm joking around, but um, that's a great way to talk about it. Um, and I, I am routinely blown away by the same thing, even as I lead these cohorts as well. That, and it's been a huge learning in my life to realize that I do not have to, I do not have to be in control of mm-hmm. things. I don't actually have to know what the outcome is going to be or have everything figured out in advance. If we open up space for God to work, God works. Yeah. 
Yep. And if we're, if we're listening and attentive, uh, miracles happen. Yeah. Miracles happen. So, yeah. Anyway, if you're interested in that kind of thing, look up, look up the info. It really is, uh, it really is uh, a wonderful part of my week every week. So, um, all right. <clears throat> I think that's all we have to announce mm-hmm. today, Matt Tebby. Okay. Uh, let us now listen to this interview. Let's get into it with AJ Sherrill. AJ Sherrill, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Ah, oh, good to see you, Ben. Always great to be in conversation with you. Yes, we. I think we had you on last time to talk about the Enneagram. Is that right? We did. Yeah, I like, think we've done that a couple like an times. Age ago, I know. Right, a couple times. Wow. So you're like a you're like a veteran of this podcast. He's like um, another co-host. It's fine. Basically, he's another co-host. <laughs> I'm looking for you know a fourth job. So yeah. Know. Well, aren't we all? Um, <laughs> All right. Well, um, there's applications if you'd like to be our fourth co-host. <laughs> um, friends, if you don't know, AJ has been a pastor for over 20 years, and he's now pastoring St. Peter's Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He's an adjunct professor at Fuller who teaches on preaching and the Enneagram, leads workshops on the Enneagram. Uh, and as we've just mentioned, uh, was on our podcast before about that. But today, we're going to be talking about your new book, AJ, which is called Being With God, the absurdity, necessity, and neurology of contemplative prayer. So that's the book, recently uh, published by uh, Brazos. Looks like Baker Books. Um, first of all, what else should we know about you, AJ? Before we get into this, I besides think what's a, in your bio that I just read, that's that's a pretty good sum. I'm good to go with that. <laughs> okay, it's truthful so far. Truthful so far. Yep, that's good. That's a, that's always a good start. We actually just recorded a podcast with someone whose bio had changed, uh, which we didn't realize, and so we introduced it. We didn't. It was Heather Day. Uh, I Heather thought you were going to say John Grudem, although that'll be old news by the time this comes out. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, so it it and we just corrected it right in the middle of the pot. She was like, "Well, actually, I've moved," and so. Anyway, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we didn't have that snafu this time. Yeah, I mean, who needs editing? It's sort of nice when you make oh, mistakes and you don't try to I, like. Yep. wipe them away. Just let's just roll that's, with it. That's the gift of the vibe that we've cultivated on yep. this podcast is that like people do not expect uh, professionally uh, produced podcasts. So well, let me just digress good. here. And I know that's probably okay. not your agenda, but like <laughs> when it came out to like the COVID preaching moment and all these mm-hmm. pastors were going to like video recording, mm-hmm. not live, but video, yeah, it right. was so funny to me pastors that would, you know, want to commiserate around like, can you believe how many times it takes us to get through these? It's like, well, what do you do on Sunday when people are actually there? Why don't, <laughs> right. why don't you just do that? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. There is something weird. I, I have found, I, I don't have any trouble preaching a sermon or having a conversation, but when I started, I did some classes, video classes that we recorded, you know, like little video courses. And there's something weird about that camera. It's weird. Like just looking into a camera and talking, I was like, this is bizarre. It takes me forever to like, I don't know. I, I have a weird like, well, it also can't get over myself. takes yeah. something to keep looking at the camera. Right. And there's if nobody there. Yeah, right. Yeah, no one's yeah. there. There's no audience. It's it's really difficult. I had, Christy, I, I appreciate. Somebody, go ahead. Sorry, Ben. I, don't, I was just going to say, I had somebody uh, who wanted me to put a picture when they were recording their part of this video course, they were like, "Put just put a picture of somebody up, awesome. in, up like right in front of the camera so I can like see a person. 
Yeah, Christy, I appreciate your optimism on what you just shared. I think it's a bit more negative than that. I think we get more narcissistic when we have the capabilities of editing. Like it's almost like this endless search of perfection as if that's what people are hoping for when we know that like authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, these are like the the currencies of our time. And yet we want some perfect video. Anyway, whatever. Great chat. But yeah. Like we're, yeah, like we're suddenly going to become, you know, expert broadcast video people. Yeah, right. Hey, when anyway. we were videoing in COVID, I put puppets up in the sanctuary one Sunday just to like <laughs> mess with people. I'm not sure my boss really loved it, but I thought it was hysterical <laughs> to have like these like, you know, little, little big puppets for the puppets service. everywhere. Yeah. Jesus awesome. loved it. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, well, good. A- AJ, we're not, I mean, we're not here to talk about preaching during COVID, but um, we are ta- here to talk about contemplative prayer and your book. Um Maybe just share with us, you know, most people don't adopt contemplative prayer as like a fun hobby. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I joined a pickup contemplative prayer league or something like that. Most most people kind of uh, come into contemplative prayer through some kind of necessity uh, or something. You know what I mean? Like something happens and they're like, well, I can't I can't not do this now. Um, maybe maybe just tell us your, your story. How did you come into um, doing this regularly? Um, how did this come to be an important practice for you? Yeah, the great question. And I'll start by just qualifying the question that I wish it was as regularly as uh, I wish it was. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a, a strange necessity that I think I ebb and flow with. There are times mm. where it comes more naturally than others and times where it's just more necessary than others. Although I think it's always necessary um, in order of being grounded in my identity and not being performative in some way. So I, mine came through failure. As you just suggested through your question, Mm -hmm. I was planting a church in LA. This was back in my twenties. So we're looking at 15 years ago and for all intents and purposes, like, um, you know, I, I, it was going sort of well at the beginning and then some things happened and it derailed uh, through right. a s- series of unfortunate events, if you will, um, none of which were within my control. And I found myself right. realizing like, I can't actually like change the outcome of this by my performance or by like pulling a lever. And all I had known at that time was like leading big things, like things that from the human standpoint, mm. like succeeded, were financially successful, people showed up. Um, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I got to a place probably like seven years into ministry where I was like, I, I have, I don't know what to do. And I realized at that point, I didn't know how to pray. All I knew mm-hmm. how to do was to pray at God or to God or for God, which are not bad, but that those mm-hmm. were the only tools I had. I didn't know how to be with God. And so mm-hmm. it was through that season where I realized like, God is so much more relational than I give God credit for. God is eternally available. And um, I sort of use God for my utility and sort of, you know, this sort of mm. uh, transactional thing we can get yeah. into pretty quickly. So that's what yeah. I like about being with God. I'm an, I'm an Enneagram three, if you're familiar with that theory for your listeners. And mm. I just like, woo, woo. yeah, that's right. <laughs> you get Come it, Come on, Christy? us three's got to stick together. <laughs> yeah, confession is important. I confess I'm an Enneagram three. Um <laughs> And and so performance and all that stuff is so yeah. in, like Absolutely. a part of that. And so being yes. having having like upstream practices that have nothing to do with ROI, but have everything mm-hmm. to do with just mm-hmm. sitting with the eternal presence that apparently, according to scripture, lives at the core of my being, um, mm-hmm. named the Holy Spirit, like attuning to that and realizing that like spirituality isn't creating conversations. 
I think we mm-hmm. often think of prayer as like, okay, I go in, I create a conversation, and then when I'm finished talking, prayer is done. I like mm-hmm. to tell people that 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 prayer is less about creating conversations and more about joining the conversation. Yes. And that's what I think contemplative prayer does is we get to join mm-hmm. the eternal triune conversation that has always been happening and that actually was the conversation that created the universe in the first place, that God spoke the world into existence. So I'm interested mm-hmm. in that conversation when I go to sit with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I resonate with that. <clears throat> um, wanting to do it more, valuing it, knowing it's important, but always, <laughs> for me, like every time, every time I go to do it, there is this weird internal resistance that I have. All of a sudden, my task list like is just right front and center, and I'm like, I don't have time for this. I can't, you know, I can't do this. Um, but that call uh, is is very resonant for me. And I hear you. I hear you naming a couple of things that I want to highlight. One is is God for you in this process moved. Um, one way to say it is from object to subject. Yeah. Right. From this object, this sort of uh, substance, or maybe person. But I would. I would. It was utility. It was. It was in order to do something that I had a goal for. And so, oh, God, God will be helpful for that. And I'm, I'm talking in, you know, obviously um, in very sort of bald terms here, um, but moving from object of utility to subject of, um, you know, just like personhood, I'm kind of mo- moving from, from object to subject. Um, and then the other shift I, I heard you name was the shift from um, sort of thinking about prayer as something that I achieve or accomplish and thinking about um, prayer as a a process of realization of something that's already been true. So it's joining the conversation, not creating the conversation, uh, which I think are two really big um, shifts uh, for a lot of people as they come into contemplative prayer, um, especially for an Enneagram three, I suppose. Um, Hmm. Yeah. So. I'm wondering, AJ, for our listeners who who didn't grow up in like a liturgical background, or they hear contemplative prayer and they're like, "What is that?" I I I I just talk to God, or I just like you know, thank you God. I mean, help them. Can you paint the picture for their imagination as what that really is? How do you practice that? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I like those listeners that feel like, wait, what? I, I don't. I don't even. That didn't even compute. I grew up in um, what's called uh, cataphatic traditions, which is primarily the whole of Protestant Reformation church world. So it's sensory. So what you hear, what you see, what you taste, what you um, can sort of discern in your head, um, rather than sort of intuitive um, beingness. Um, So so I like to tell people like, you know, the question inevitably becomes like, am I doing this right? Is it working? Those aren't mm-hmm. bad questions, but we have been fully trained to understand if God is working based on results. Mm-hmm. And so much of contemplative prayer is is about a, a witness, um, yeah. a making peace with what is. It would like it would like be going on a nature walk, asking like, is the tree working? And it's like the tree is, and it's beautiful, and it's enough to be in the presence of, like especially in Charleston where I live, it's these these mossy oaks. Like yeah. that have been around long before I was here, many of them, and will be around long before I'm gone. Um, and so just enjoying that is sort of what it means to be fully human on that nature walk, right? Um, and so it's kind of like that. I, I like to tell people too, like people will say, well, how do I know if it worked? Um, and what if I don't hear anything? 
And I think that's a great question. I, I think the the answer for me that's helpful with that is, is what if you reframe the silence, um, not as God's absence, but as a way of realizing that in Christ, God has no accusation to make against you. Like that silence isn't an absence of God's presence. It's actually the infusion of God saying, I, I just want to hang. Like, mm-hmm. you don't, I don't need you to do anything right now. You don't have to perform. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go be smarter or work harder. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that I created you f- for like walking in the coolness of day, as Genesis mm-hmm. says, like, and now you're trying to hide through your performance and earn things. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I also encourage people to um, uh, to pair it with scripture or to mm-hmm. pair it with walking or to pair it with service even. Like the monks would have this aura and labora, prayer and work. They would find these sort of tasks such as gardening, um, such as things that didn't take a lot of like mental calculation. And they would integrate their prayer life and their prayer word into those mm-hmm. tasks so that it's not like there's a category for praying and there's a category for the rest of life. How do we integrate that into, into daily life? So that that's the first place I think some of this journey begins. Yeah, that's good. Um, some of, uh, some listeners who uh, might be listening to this, they might be thinking, this sounds really similar to mindfulness, which is kind of a, a hot topic nowadays. And um, a lot of psychologists and, and people recommend mindfulness and there's different techniques. How, how would, I know you address this in the book, like how, how is contemplative prayer for you similar to mindfulness and how is it distinct from mindfulness? Yeah. How would you delineate those? I love that. So like one of those first chapters, it's called weird um, mm-hmm. where, where I think it's important that we um, celebrate that the ma- mindfulness movement has gained some traction. I think it makes some Christians kind of freaked out. Cause wait, are we talking about like, like Buddhism here, is this sort of Eastern spirituality and how do we discern the difference? Um, Mindfulness is a beautiful aim to empty your mind, which we need to sort of do because of all the junk and clutter. Um, But Mm. contemplation aims to fill our minds. So like the way Mm. I like to talk about it is mindfulness um, might be like one side of the whole coin. So Mm. like it's a beautiful thing to grow in detachment to all of these things that the ego seeks in order to sort of create an identity. Um, so we have to detach from those things, but that's only half the way to use the sports metaphor down the field. The other mm-hmm. part of that is that the beautiful thing about Christianity, which is different than Buddhism, we're not talking about the same things here, although there are things about Buddhism I can appreciate, um, the full thing for Buddhists would be to simply detach, whereas mm-hmm. through passages like John 15, it seems very clear that we're all called to reattach, not just detach from illusion, but reattach to ultimate meaning. And that meaning for us, that meaning for the world is abiding in Christ. And so that's the beautiful thing about contemplation where mindfulness is great at detachment, but contemplation takes you to that other end of the field where you learn to reattach to the one that gives us meaning and identity. And he had a name and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. And he wants to be with us throughout the course of our days. That's great. Um, alluded to this in that chapter. You said it was called Weird, and um, that it's my favorite part of the subtitle is that you you talk about the absurdity of contemplative prayer. And so in here, you do sort of uh, say that it's in some sense absurd that contemplative prayer in our modern world is uh, absurd. What do you uh, What do you mean by that? Well, how, how is how is it absurd? I'll put it into a narrative form. Um, at least I'm drawn to story, and I would imagine a lot of your listeners are too. Um, mm-hmm. On July 13th of 2019, the lights went out in Times Square, 
And I actually opened the book with this story of how J-Lo was performing at Madison Square Garden. People were freaking out. All the lights were off. And so they all stumbled, this is pre-pandemic, into the city, into the streets with their iPhones to illuminate the path. And like the next day was like, the headline was like um, some, you know, paranoia around the lights being off and how shocking it was. Mm. And it was shocking. When you see an aerial view, you can actually Google it of the lights being out in Times Square, it's shocking because that's not what you'd expect. I mean, what do you expect Mm. in Times Square at four in the afternoon? Lights. What do you expect at four in the morning? Lights. At Mm -hmm. every hour of the day, you expect lights. And so the suggestion is this, like what's weirder that the lights went off, Mm. which was weird, or that we've come to a place in our lives where we expect them always to be on. And Mm. that's sort of the metaphor that I think guides a lot of life in the Western world is that we just, we push boundaries, we push sleep cycles, we overeat, we overspend, we overwork, everything's binged. We actually celebrate binge watching, things like this. We have created a new culture of normality that is actually absurd and we call it normal. And so mm. the strange thing of that is when you live inversely to that cultural current, that you are the one that looks like you're absurd because mm-hmm. you're living within rhythm. You're living in such a way that, you know, you leave parties perhaps earlier and you regulate and moderate alcohol intake and you are aware of your sleep cycles and you know what it means to be fully human and to live in congruence with how God created the universe. And that's Mm. becoming strange in our culture today. And so to live into a kind of rhythm of that is absurd. Yeah. So the, the absurdity sort of on the face of it, contemplative prayer can seem absurd to um, kind of our our normal uh, modern life, but in fact, the absurdity of contemplative prayer serves to highlight the absurdity we're already living in. And yeah, perhaps, so, uh, perhaps we're becoming more sane. An observer might be looking at you after you tell them about you know your journey into contemplative prayer, and you're like, okay, so mm-hmm. let me get this right. Like you just sit there, and you're like, <laughs> right. yeah, and you're yeah. like, they're like, well, what happens? And you're like, I don't know, nothing. And they're like, nothing, you just sit there? And it's like, yeah, haven't we been over this already? Um, Like often nothing happens. And what we're learning about brain science right now is that when we think nothing is happening, something is happening. It's it's what's underneath the soil that is sprouting and gaining rooting and life and identity. And it's Mm. all underneath and we can't see it, but eventually it manifests in character traits such as patience with our kids, such as goodness, such as being joyful in ways that have to do everything with what's under the soil and what we can't see. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. One thing about contemplative prayer that I, I, I like how you're saying that it's something is happening, even if we don't notice it happening. And I think that's the, 
we, we would like to measure and notice, and we, we want to be able to directly link my effort with my, with my uh, results, right? That's, very, that's a very modern kind of thing that we, you know what I mean? Like, well, if I put, if I put in this much effort, here's, here's my return on investment. You mentioned this earlier. Um, but contemplative prayer, it does achieve results at, at a certain point. But um, I always think about it more in terms of a garden. Like I'm always amazed every, and I'm, maybe this is just me, but I'm always amazed at my garden every spring. It seems like nothing is happening for a long time. You know, it's just like, I'm just watering it. And it's like, you know, we've got these huge like trellises for the cucumbers and we've got a huge like um, cage thing for the, for the tomatoes. I, could, I can't remember what those are called. I'm not a super good gardener, but um, we've got, you know, this huge and these tiny little plants, you know, at the bottom of those things. And it seems like it takes forever. And I, I remember this year we went on vacation um, and came back and just it had exploded over vacation. I did, we didn't do anything. It just rained a couple times. And it was there were cucumbers everywhere, tomatoes everywhere. Uh, we couldn't get rid of them fast enough. Um, so anyway, I, I think of contemplative prayer like that, where it's like, yeah, for a long time, for years, it feels like nothing is happening. And then, and then actually you look back and you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not as impatient with my kids anymore as I used to be, you know, and something's happened and, but you didn't realize it was happening while it was happening. It's it, at least in my experience, it, there's some deep seated internal work that is mm-hmm. like happening, even though I don't have words for it. I'm not, yeah. maybe I'm not even aware of it. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben and I come from Anglican workplaces. And so rhythms are something that are spoken about a lot. And initially when I started my job, I just thought rhythms, that just feels like legalism and like, I don't know, you know, I don't want the bumpers on my, when I bowl, I like, don't tell me how to do this. And yet (laughs) there's been, there's an exhaling Mm -hmm. in the rhythm in life, in the rhythm. And for some of our listeners who are hearing that, they're like, I don't know. I'm, I promise you, um, if you practice it, I think mm-hmm. there will be this this life that can come and that mm-hmm. can come to the surface and then come out into relationships and life um, yeah. that you're living. Yeah. yeah, I once heard that, you know, God created time so that not everything has to happen at once. <laughs> and so you have this incredible sense of uh, a time. I mean, we know that from the writer of Ecclesiastes and mm. and that it gives us space to relax, to pull back. And, you know, Ben, you said something I think that is maybe the most profound thing I've heard in a while. And it's this, that you confess that you're not a good gardener and I, God is. <laughs> I <laughs> right, mean, that's right. the amazing thing is that yeah. God's really good at gardening. In fact, like, where's the first place he put us in mm-hmm. creation is in a yeah. garden. Um, and so to trust that, like that's the beautiful thing about create contemplative prayers. We don't have to create that. We get to right. trust that. And what an invitation for us to be fully human in that, to trust our creator. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, it's really, it's been important for me. It's been a really actually um, profound realization for me to realize I, I'm not that good a gardener. But all by itself, the soil produces grain, you know, to quote Jesus. Like, it feels like a miracle when a, when a tomato comes out. Like, it's like, an, you know what I mean? It's incredible. Like, this is just a bunch yeah. of dirt, and there's some underneath the dirt, and then somehow the, the sunlight and the soil, and like a tomato, and it's delicious. Like, how did that happen? Anyway, uh, but I digress. 
Um, you mentioned a little bit about brain science, and obviously this book is also about the links between contemplative prayer and neurology. Um, you know, there's links with our breath, with stress, with sleep uh, that you've mentioned. What was the what was the most surprising thing for you um, as you started looking at the links between these things? The su- most surprising discovery for you about the links between contemplative prayer and neurology? Yeah. So when we talk about contemplative prayer, a lot that we're talking about is beginning with our breath. Like I like mm-hmm. to integrate um, a prayer, the oldest prayer, not the oldest, but the most utilized prayer in all of church history is actually the Jesus prayer. And I, I condense right. it to Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And so my inhales, Lord Jesus Christ, and my exhales have mercy on me. And so when I connect my breathing in that rhythm, mm-hmm. I was so surprised on how, first of all, that gives my frontal lobe something to do, which typically is mm-hmm. the CEO of our lives that runs our stress, all of our worry, all of the right. things that were, you know, calendar items, good things and bad, everything in between. But it's the CEO that's constantly running our lives. You have to give it something to do. Otherwise, you're right. You'll sit You'll sit there and just all these activities will come to mind and it'll drive you crazy. So that's why you integrate that. But with your breath, I was so surprised that my heart rate is connected to my breathing, that yes. my pupils in dilating or undilating are connected to my breathing. I'll give you an example. Um, when NBA players will go to the free throw line, they're only allowed to throw the basketball back to the ref before they shoot one time. And so right now, what you'll find is that as more players are learning about brain science and the optimization of the game of basketball or golf, what you'll find is that they will take deeper breaths because what they're trying to do is constrict their pupils so that they are focusing very critically. They don't want undi- they don't want dilated eyeballs. They want to hmm. constrict them so that they're looking on one object and one object only. It can focus on that basketball goal. It's the same for golf. Golfers know when to breathe, when that tiny ball is going to be the greatest focus of their life. And once they've exhaled, all they're thinking, all their lungs are thinking is more breath, more air, more air, more air. But when they're at the top of their breath, their eyes are perfectly undilated so that they can focus in on that ball and make maximum contact consistently. And so it's like that in contemplative prayer where you have all these things happening but your breath actually is such a massive operating system. And so to be out of sorts with our breath, I mean, we spend a lot of our lives with about um, a third of our lungs filled with yesterday's CO2. Now that's poisonous. So you can imagine what kind of um, consequence that has on our bodies long-term when you fast forward the years. So, you know, we sit hunched over desks, breathing shallowly. We don't take deep breaths anymore. That's why things like Pilates, yoga, these practices help get rid of all this carbon dioxide in us and just inhale and exhale, right? And stretch. Mm -hmm. So these things are like super basic, but we're finding um, that all this stuff is integrated. Like there's nothing that's untethered from everything else. And so to live really well, I think is to become really aware of that. We're bodily, we're not just cerebral, you know, brains on a stick. Um, right. so all of it's integrated. Yeah. I think that, that, that's, it was a surprise to me too. When I first started, uh, thinking about uh, practicing really contemplative prayer, how embodied a practice it was. Cause I, I think in my head, I had this image of it's, it's like leaving your body or like, yeah. you know, ignoring your body. It's, it's, it's just this spiritual thing, but it's so embodied. It actually is, is a return to my body because again, like I'm doing really simple things. I'm breathing, I'm repeating this phrase. You know, I'm sitting in a chair or I'm, I'm using a kneeling bench. And so I'm, I'm very aware of my body. I'm not just laying, for me anyway, I can't just lay down. 
I need like I need to practice some form of alertness with mm-hmm. my body. So mm-hmm. I, I either have to sit in a chair or I use a kneeling bench or something like that. But that um, I was surprised at how embodied it was. And these links are they're all really fun. Do you uh, to, have to do you have a breath prayer that is uh, more common in your practice? Yeah, I mean, my, mine's or that. AJ? Je- I'm, yeah, mine's Jesus prayer. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, that that's mine too. I just you know uh, I read the the contemplatives. They all say that's the you know that's the traditional one, and I'm like, man, eh, I want to I want to do the right one. So I'm an Enneagram <laughs> one. Comes from the um, Russians. So, the Russians bring yeah, it yeah, up. The, yes, yes. But yeah, so I do. Um, my, mine's a more traditional one, but I I slow my I like to slow my breath down even more. So my inhale and my exhale are the same. And so I do Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. And then I exhale Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. So I end up that what that does is it slows my breath down quite a bit. Um, but it also, um, yeah, forces me into like a deeper, a deeper breath practice as well. So, but people can use all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, I've he- I've heard um, like writers like Martin Laird. I don't know if you know him, AJ. But he um, he recommends that you don't like play around with your word. Like just pick one and stick with it um, because because he said like it's not actually that important. Uh, you're just again giving your brain you're giving your uh, frontal lobe something to do. Um, so yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, this stuff is fascinating for me. What um, Christy, you mentioned. Um, uh, liturgical prayer. Uh, and we all actually come, AJ's a uh, part of an Anglican church as well, Christy. I don't know if you knew that, but um, we all we all come from these liturgical traditions. Um, and sometimes uh, I've seen contemplative prayer sort of pitted against set forms of prayer, right? So contemplative prayer is sitting and doing nothing. And then set forms of prayer is doing something, right? We're saying these specific words in this specific order right now, all together, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, but you, in this book, you want to hold them together. And you mentioned earlier cataphatic prayer. Um, and then, you know, in the book, you talk about apophatic prayer, but um, maybe just talk a bit about why these two kinds of prayer are good to hold together rather than like picking the one that you like best. Yeah. You know, I, I think as Christians, we need to be more aware of streams in the first place. Uh, chances are, if you grew up in the church, um, you were thoroughly baptized into a stream and we're pretty unaware that other streams existed. And if you were, then maybe they were suspicious, right? Um, I think we all have whoever those, those denominations are, right? Um, it's one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about Ben, where you and I sort of live in the Anglican world in our diocese, uh, called C4SO is that we're constantly trying to, um, bring what, is ostensibly separate um, into creative tension. And Mm. so like we would say like charismatic and contemplative, um, let's go to the far end. Let's like, we'll come back to liturgy, but what I like to tell charismatics is that they are so much more like contemplatives than they realize. And I'll say the same thing to contemplatives. I'll I'll say, oh my goodness, you are so charismatic. And they'll be like, what? Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Because (laughs) when you think about, let's take something as simple as, um, or as, you know, as controversial as glossolalia or speaking in tongues, right? Mm-hmm. What are we doing when we're speaking in tongues? Well, we are stunting the frontal lobe and we're giving that something to do so the Holy Spirit can have freedom to override our cerebral reason processes that often want to exclude the Holy Spirit from coming into certain parts of our lives in the world. 
and we are allowing the Spirit to minister to us. And that mm-hmm. is the same exact thing happening in a contemplative sit where you're giving your frontal lobe something to do with a prayer word, is you're stunting the frontal lobe so the Spirit can minister to you and bring online parts of your mind that remain offline for most of our lives, which have to do with compassion and empathy, et cetera. So I, I like to say like some of these things are not opposites. They're actually meant to be held in creative tension. Um, liturgy mm-hmm. is great because you're you're naming that which when you pray uh, contemplatively is unnamed. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a kind of rhythm and cadence. And, you know, liturgy is great. It's the work of the people, um, not just the work of the person. And what are we doing? We're re-gospeling. We're re-theologizing yeah one another when we say these things, we're restoring ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so we need both. Um, We need the scripture. Um, We need sound preaching. We need the sacraments. All of these have a creative function. And I think Mm -hmm. we do ourselves a disservice when we start to major on ones and sort of either minor or completely get rid of the others, because Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a healthy diet. Like you don't just need protein. Like you've, mm-hmm. you've got to have vegetables, right? Like yeah. all of these things come together in a kind of beautiful creative tension to create a healthy person. So, mm-hmm. and that, that's why I think rhythm matters that um, there are certain practices that are just more helpful in certain environments than others. Like when mm-hmm. people gather together, and one of the things I'm really critical about church gatherings is that often we turn the lights off and the right. fog comes up. And, you know, <laughs> I used to pastor a church um, called, called Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, not not the one that the podcast is about. Not the one about. that's the Nick and um, podcast right. about. Um, Mars Hill yeah, Bible Church. Um, <laughs> and I remember, um, and sorry, I'm going on a tangent here. I remember we, okay. I, I, I created this part in our service, it's so basic, where we would take an extended time during the piece to actually mm-hmm. like see each other and say hello and get creative with a question that you can be curious about. Because we've gathered to be a community, not to mm-hmm. be sort of attending an event. And I remember getting some emails that week of people being like, like, what's your problem? Like, we don't, we don't do this. Like, we don't talk to each other. And it was like, this is a format. <laughs> when we come together, we've got to be f- forced in yeah. all the best ways to realize yeah. that we're a people. We're not a stage yeah. with a person. And yeah. it's the same, like we need, certain environments are created for certain things to optimize. And so yeah. the church needs liturgy to restore it together. Um, yeah. We also need rhythms of silence and solitude and ministry. Henri Nouwen would say it like this, and here's the most challenging part for your listener, I would say, to not miss this part. Henri would say community, um, uh, uh, it was uh, solitude, community, and ministry. That This was the rhythm he saw Jesus in constantly in the Gospels, that Jesus would begin the day in solitude, he would then move into community with his disciples, and then, then they would minister to the world. Now, I don't really care what time of the day that happens in my life, but I do think over the arc of my week, I'm asking the Lord, did I have appropriate times of solitude where I both learned of you and I sat with you? Do I have appropriate times of community where I'm actually involved in the lives of people and they with me? And do I have appropriate measures of ministry? I know people that have done ministry for years and haven't prayed in a decade, right? I know people who love community but can't stand to be alone. I know people Mm -hmm. that love to be alone, but they don't have anyone they're pursuing for accountability and spiritual friendship. All of Mm -hmm. these things exist together. And so to bring all these things together, I think is a fuller picture of the kingdom of God. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah, that's really well said. I I appreciate, I've never really thought about uh, speaking in tongues as like an extended prayer word, but I mean, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. It's really good. 
Um, and I also appreciated the connection. I just want to highlight this, but I think oftentimes, even, even when we talk about liturgy, we're still thinking individualistically so often. It's yeah. like, do, is it important for me to say these words yeah. right now? Um, but I, I appreciated your connection to community because a, a lot of what's happening in a church service where everybody is speaking the same thing together, and we're not just watching a stage or the music is so loud that we can't actually hear anybody else singing. You know, we can just hear the people who are, have microphones. Like what's happening in a liturgical service like that then is that it's not just that I'm saying some words that are helpful for me to say, but I'm hearing yes. some words, right? I'm hearing other people speak to me um, the same words that I'm speaking to them. And so I, I appreciated that connection there to community um, and liturgy. It was really it's really good. I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that before. You know, you said that, Ben, it made me think um, last Sunday at church, you know, we go up forward for Eucharist, for communion, and mm-hmm. the person serving says, the body of Christ broken for you. And um, those words spoken to me yes. make me tear up almost every week. Mm-hmm. It is like, I need to hear that. I, I, my heart needs to hear that. And so, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We need to say it, but we also need to hear yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, it does something to our souls. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, we, I, uh, we, talk, we talk about one of our practices that we train people in is proclaiming good news. And so that doesn't just happen in a service, but that's, that's an example of it, Christy, proclaiming good news. Yeah. That's not information you forgot. Right. Right. Uh, Right. Oh, that's right. Right. It's the body of Christ. Right. You know, like I, uh, it's not information you forgot, but there's something that happens when, when that, when the gospel is proclaimed to you, when that good news is proclaimed. Or how about this Um, way? It's not information you did not know, mm. but for me, it is information I've forgotten somewhere along the way, Mm. right? That I have to be re-invited into. Um, And that's the... That's the beauty of the church calendar of going through this same story over and yeah. over because you can never step into the same river twice, as it said. Like, like we're not the same people we were last year. And so this story, though I've heard it before, it hits me in new ways and nuances and angles, and it develops yeah. me in new ways that I wasn't ready for last year, but I am today, yeah. right? Yeah, it's really good. Um, well, how can, so I, one of the things I appreciate about your book, AJ, is that you end each chapter with a practice. And these are really simple contemplative practices um, that sort of are very practical ways into contemplative prayer. Um, so besides getting this book and walking through these, these practices, what, maybe the, just give our listeners one, maybe something they could do by the end of today that would be just a one step into a more contemplative life. Yeah, I, I think what's important is that we imagine ourselves doing this. So mm-hmm. do you have um, a place in your home? Or um, for me, I have a porch swing that is is really spiritual for me. Like when I sit there, I, I, I make up that I'm sitting to do really important things in this particular, mm-hmm. well, it's a rocking chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or is it a trail that is just sacred for you where you just reconnect with your soul and with the creator um, and so that would be the first step is to get really clear about where might yeah. might I find myself where it feels thin. And what I mean by thin is that the kingdom of heaven and earth seem to be more available there than anywhere yeah. else in my life. Um, yeah. So where is that for you? And then like, is there a time of day that 
Like for me, I know that like my cortisol levels are highest when I first get up because I've just woken up from sleep and I have my French press coffee, which is really important to me, um, <laughs> particularly from Madcap, Grand Rapids, little little uh, pitch there for Madcap. I order five pound bags, have it shipped, free delivery. Um, and so it's that swing with my coffee. When I first get up, it's not my phone, it's not social media, it's not my email. Um, although those things are constantly, I have I have days where, I fail in that battle miserably mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like it's grace. So yeah. Um, yeah. find a place, find a time and um, learn to simply be with God. Have a yeah. time in your regular reading patterns, your rather scriptural diet where you, yeah. you sort of have heard God's word and you can just sit in the presence. Yeah. It's good. Very good. Um, AJ, um, how can people connect with you? Uh, if they'd like to reach out maybe and uh, hear more. Yeah, I'm on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can just look up my name. Uh, also, ajsherald.org. I have an email on there if you want to inter- interact and have uh, a more thorough conversation. Love to do that. I'm a pastor by heart, so um, people matter. And so engagement, uh, I really love to do. Okay. Well, very good. Again, the book is Being with God, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. We'll put a link to that and um, all those social medias and such in the show notes. AJ, thanks again for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Grace to you, Christy. Grace to you, Ben. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.